All right, let's welcome to the Misfit Nation candidate for Texas 28th Congressional District, uh, U.S. Air Force veteran, Eric Holman. How you doing, Eric? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, man. I, I, I'm glad we finally connected. <laughs> uh, me too. There's a lot, uh, game of, uh, I guess, the new age of tag. We used to do it on cell phones and play phone tag. Now we played Zoom tag for probably a couple weeks here. But oh, we absolutely. got this thing together, and I'm glad I'm able to get your story out as you're uh, starting your run for Congress there in the Congressional District uh, 28 of Texas, which is, I believe, the San, uh, San Antonio area. So if you'd like to, uh, uh, please tell the Misfit Nation a little bit about yourself from as far back as you want to go, if you want to tell your whole story of how you, your family came and stuff, and then why you, you love America and became an Air Force, a, a security forces, a security forces emergency response guy, and then air traffic, uh, air combat controller. It seemed like you, you like to do everything in the Air Force, so just tell us the story. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll give your audience a, a, a quick uh, synopsis or clip notes if you guys are old enough to remember what those things were. <laughs> now, <it is. laughs> those were those were lifesavers, man. When I when I was going through high school, but yeah. Uh, so you know, I was I was born in Mexico City. Both my parents uh, Mexican, and uh, my father at the time was a very talented jeweler. So he was pursuing the American dream. He came over to the U.S. and was working for a guy here in, in, in San Antonio, Texas. So, you know, saved up enough money, brought um, a mother, my sister and I back back to San Antonio. And uh, unfortunately, during the time that he was alone, he became an alcoholic, pretty bad dude towards my mom. And, uh, you know, it's just, uh, you kind of hear that a lot, right? Uh, you know, just abusive and just a dick to be quite, you know, open and, and uh, open with you guys. So, uh, luckily, my mom had, had met someone. They got divorced, and my stepdad kind of picked up, picked it up. And um, you know, I'm grateful for him. He adopted me. That's why I have a, a German last name, even though I'm 100% Mexican. And don't worry, man. I, I I can speak Spanish, read it, write it. My mom actually talks to me in Spanish most of the time. So, um, yeah. So we, you know, they my parents busted their butts, and and the the number one goal was to become U.S. citizens. So. You know that I mean that is the American dream, right? You you come to this country because the land of opportunity and everything the country has to to give you, but you have to work hard, you know. And that's what kills me. It's just everybody wants a handout now, and it, it's just you have to work hard. I mean that's what made America number one. So um, became a U.S. citizen, grew up in San Antonio, uh, played sports here at local high school, Lee High School, and and uh, graduated from there. Went to Texas Tech University for two years. You know, my parents didn't make over 40 grand, so they, and then I was having too much fun. I think my GPA, it started, I mean, I'll share that with you. I think it was like a 2.75 or something. <laughs> so my parents were like, there is no way we're paying you to do that. So um, I, you know, the Air Force was, had, the, you know, come join the Air Force and we'll pay for a college degree. And uh, I did. That's what I did. I, I didn't want to be in the military when I was young. I, I joined when I was 20. I, I just wanted to be a businessman. So I said, okay, I need a business degree and this is the only way to do it. So when I came in, I um, joined security forces, and and it was funny because my ASVAB, my recruiter, was actually a good guy. He said, "Man, you don't want to be a cop. Those guys work long hours. You're at a gate." And I was like, "No, no. I liked the, the way the the beret looked." When I was at the recruiting office, they had a poster of a dude with a beret and an M16. It's like I want to do that, and he's like, "You're an idiot." But anyway, so I, I joined. I joined that. And, uh, you know, I, I, was, I was working on my degree. That's when, like, online school started to happen. So I was doing that. And uh, I was just deployed all the time. And shortly after that, 9-11 happened. And I reenlisted. And I, I, I knew I wanted revenge. And I've said that before. I, I, just, I just wanted revenge for what they did to us, to what they did to our country. So 
I was going to get out and go either, you know, the ones you hear about, right? The SEALs, the SF guys. I, I wanted to be on the front line. So luckily, or by the grace of God, uh, I ran into my buddy, Will, who was a combat control instructor. And he's like, what are you doing? You're, you're nuts. You stay here in the Air Force, the quality of life. You jump out of airplanes, you dive, you drop bombs, you shoot every weapon system the Department of Defense has. And at the end of the day, you have, you know, you have a great life. So you don't have to cross train to, to another branch. I was like, okay. So I looked them up. And again, the Air Force is, doesn't do a great job about advertising combat controllers. So I, uh, the day that I was supposed to get out, man, I, my parent, I came home and because I was living in San Antonio and at Lackland Air Force Base where I was stationed and my parents had this big, uh, you know, thank God you're getting out of the military and had balloons and stuff. <laughs> and I walk in and I'm all, I tell my mom and, and, and my, my stepdad, I, you know, I said, hey, uh, I just re-enlisted. I'm going to go into special forces. I'm going to become a combat controller. And yep, I, the Air Force has me another four years. And I remember my stepdad's like, what? Like, you don't even like being dirty. You should be a banker somewhere. <laughs> I was like, I don't care. I want revenge, man. So yeah, I started that two-year process, that two-year pipeline. And man, let me let me tell you, that's that was a really, really rough pipeline. And uh, I've said it before, the attrition rate is 85 to 90%. Uh, out of the 20 guys I started with, only four of us made it all the way through where they were operational combat controllers. Um, and, and I mean, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm glad. I mean, a lot of guys get washed out because they quit because it's tough and, and or it's just injuries or, or, you know, they just lose heart for it and you just have to stay stick with it. And so um, it's a great career field. The best times of my life was being a combat controller and, and running with those guys that were combat controllers. And then you join other teams, you know, when you go fight in Afghanistan, you know, I met some great my, most of my time was with the ODAs, which are Army Special Forces teams. So uh, I'm still in touch with those guys. Uh, I worked with a couple of SEAL teams when I was up in Germany and then once in Afghanistan. Uh, and then the pilots, the pilots that are protecting us overhead, you know, they're they're great. I, I'm still in touch with a couple of uh, F-16 guys and, and Apache guys. So, yeah, man, that's that's kind of the way it started. I, just started going and finally getting my chance to, to sling some hate and putting some bad guys away with, with some of the teams. And, and I'm grateful. Um, after that, uh, my last deployment, I was with a, with a young captain. He, he took over a, an ODA after the captain and, and the combat controller were injured in an IED. So I was working down in the south with a team out of Japan. It's uh, 115. And we were closing that base down because at the time you I was under the Obama administration, so we were, you know, we were giving back all that space back to, to the Afghans, right, to, to control their country, which was obviously, as you know, it's a joke. Uh, so after those two guys got hurt, I got sent to Wardak province, which is up in the north, uh, north Afghanistan. And I met Andrew, uh, Captain Andrew Peterson Keel, and he was his first command as a team leader for that ODA. And man, I, I love this guy. I mean, he's a kid. He's 28 years old when I met him. And we, we just, unfortunately, we got snowed in. It was, it, by that time, it was winter season. So we, we got snowed in. We did a couple ops, nothing too, too, too major. Um, and then I was going to go to our tier one team. I was going to go assess for that. And I, you know, I returned home because my rotation was kind of, the way we, the Air Force did, we overlapped so that way there was some, some um, overlap of, of controllers switching out with the team so you get some continuity. And uh, I left. And two weeks later, my, my team leader and that ODA, which was with 3126, they, they get in a green on blue and, and they get shot up pretty bad. 
Um, and unfortunately him and the squad leader and our dog were, were, were killed there in that green on blue. Um, so obviously, again, I wanted revenge. I was, I was home in San Antonio and, and my commander called me and, you know, it, it just sucked, man. I, I um, told my mom and I packed up my stuff and, and I, I left. I, I mean, I was on my, on my leave, you know, when you come back and uh, I walked to my commander's office and I just, I just told him I, I wanted to go back. You know, I mean, I, all my bags were still packed in my cage. So, you know, I, I just need my weapon, my, my radios. And, and I was going to go be a shooter. I didn't even care about controlling aircraft. So he said, no. And obviously my, my right shoulder was pretty torn up. I mean, it was, it was pretty bad. My right shoulder it was just from wear and tear. So he, he said, no, you need to have surgery on that shoulder. You then you need to go assess for the two, four and make it there. And then you can continue to fight at that tier one level. And it just took it out of me, man. I, at the time, Clinton was gonna, was running and I think most of the country thought that she was gonna win. So I, I just, I was like, there's no way I'm fighting under another democratic president, especially this one. So I said, you know what, I'm, I'm out. I don't, wanna, I don't wanna lose limbs. I can't protect my teammates because rules of engagement under the Obama administration suck pretty bad. So, so I said, okay, I'm out. And uh, at 15 years, I popped smoke. So it was, uh, you know, you got to have conviction, man. And um, <laughs> I left. And it, it sucked. My transition was pretty bad. It was, it was really, you know, you, you, you come out of there and you think, well, I'm an operator. I had a bachelor's degree in business by that time. And I said, I'm going to take this world by storm, you know. And, and it didn't happen. A year later, it just those demons of war started creeping in, you know, and, and you start figuring out that you can't find a job that you want. And people don't, and then the bad thing is I was finding that other uphill battle that no one knew what a combat controller was. So when I would put that on my resume, people were just like, get the hell out of here. You're not, you don't do all this stuff. The Air Force doesn't have ground troops like this. And, and I would, I've said it before, I got tired of telling people everything we did. So I said, you know what, just Google combat control and I guarantee you it blows your socks off. So, uh, and I've lost some good jobs or I didn't get picked up because they, other people or people who were sitting on the boards picked up, picked the SEAL or an SF guy and nothing against them. I mean, they, they have great um, name brand marketing, you know, but combat control just doesn't. So I, I was just in a, in a world of hurt, you know, I felt pretty, pretty lost and forgotten. And, and luckily the, the, this, the VA doc, I went to, to see him because they do another assessment after you've been in combat to make sure that you're good. Because when I, you know, when you get out, you go and you do your medical assessment and they're like, you got PTSD, blah, blah, blah. And I, I just checked, no, I'm good. You know, I, I had injuries, <laughs> but I said, no. And a year later, when those demons of war were creeping in, I, uh, this doctor did his job and Dr. Arneman was, was awesome. And he, you know, there's this sheet you fill out that says, hey, how you feel the, next, the last two weeks? Are you happy? You know, are you sad? Whatever. And I, yeah. I would just check. Yeah, I'm happy all the time because I didn't want to lose my weapon. You know, those barrack lawyers would say, if you tell anyone that, you know, you got some demons in your head, they'll, you'll never be able to carry a weapon and you put it on this list, and, you know, that fear. So yeah, that's what I put. I, I said that I was super happy and, and the doc, I, I thank God for this guy. He said, uh, He's like, hey, man, why don't you cut the bullshit? You're wasting my time. He said, everything on this piece of paper says that you're happy, but everything that comes out of your mouth, I can tell you're miserable. And it took some, some, uh, some talking, but I, uh, yeah, I, I finally admitted. I was like, yeah, I, I don't know what's wrong. I, don't, I just don't feel the same. And he, he said, you're, you're heavily depressed and you have loss of purpose because I had terrible nightmares. You know, I, I was just on these gunfights that I just could not get my weapon to work. And 
getting just kept getting closer. And even if I was shooting at him, the dudes wouldn't fall. So and it, it was so realistic. And when he told me I was, you know, was heavily depressed and PTSD and all that other stuff you hear about, I, I remember laughing at him. I was like, there's no way that doesn't happen to operators. That happens to you know, people that just sit on the couch, watch Oprah and eat bonbons, you know, and he's like, no, that's happening to you, man. So it took some help and, you know, friends and family and, and God and going to church. And I, I've told people, I, I sit at the first pew of, of my church and, and, and just look up at the crucifix that they had and, and just tell, just, I just continue to ask God, like, why are you punishing me? Like, what have I done to, to why didn't you kill me on the battlefield or let me switch places with one of those guys, you know, because I just felt it was a terrible joke that it was being played on me that I, you know, that I was here and I was miserable and, and I, I just couldn't understand why. And it, it took, um, it took some time and, and, you know, you just got to stay in the fight. And luckily now you, you fast forward nine years and, and yeah, man, I, I, uh, I started getting ahead of it and, and, and I'm sitting in a good spot. I, I started a, a nonprofit, uh, after my buddy Chris Rush, he he was my first supervisor as a combat controller. You know, skinny kid. You know, he always had a dip in. You know, we we guys get away with dipping all the time on base, right? And no one knows who you are. We're always in civilian clothes, and and uh, I love this dude. I I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. He uh, on my first deployment with him as an operational controller, he was sitting across a helicopter from me, and I had sunglasses on. He had sunglasses on, and in my head, I was. I was going through like, okay, do I have all my ammo? Do I have all the radio frequencies plugged in? Do I have the crypto on my, on my radio so I can talk to aircraft? You know, you're just going through all this all this stuff in your head, this first deployment. And uh, and he's just kind of looking at me. We land, you know, the, the, we were on a 46. We land and, and he's helping me unload all these bags. And, uh, you know, my ODA that I'm joining, they're looking at me, you know, like, oh, who's this new this new guy and, and uh, I'm unloading my bags in the peripheral I'm seeing my ODA just kind of staring at me like okay this is the guy we're getting and uh the helicopter rotors are still going and Rush, <laughs> Rush leans over he's like all right man he's you know don't suck and don't die I'll see you in six months and that was his advice to me and I was like okay and then he leans in again so I was like okay maybe that was his funny advice now he's gonna give me something good he's like if things get really bad, just crawl on a ball and start crying, and the man with a gun will come save you. And then he hops back in the helicopter and then takes off. And I was like, all right. I turn around and I was like, well, here goes nothing, you know. I, uh, that was Chris Rush, man. And uh, yeah, so he did 20 years, gets out, uh, moves to Florida, you know, two, three. We have a 23rd Special Tactics Squadron down there, and we have a bunch of controllers that are going to training, guys that are stationed there, guys that just retired there. And um, you know, he, uh, he, the demons of war, and I, I think he, the pain he was going through, and I think he felt, um, I think he felt alone and, and maybe forgotten, and, and he didn't want to bother any of us, man, and, and he took his own life, and, um, and, and that was, uh, that hurt a lot of dudes, because he, not only was he my first supervisor as a, as a controller, but then he went and, and taught a lot of guys in a close air support down at the schoolhouse. And, uh, you know, and then he, obviously as he climbed in rank, he, you know, he was managing some teams down at the 2-1, uh, which is in, uh, in, in uh, Pope and in uh, the 2-2 in McCord. So, um, yeah, that, that crushed. It's a, it's a heavy blow anytime we lose a combat controller because I don't know if you know, I mean, there's only about 300 dudes to 400 guys per year active that can go go sling you know some uh some rounds downrange so 
anytime we lose one of our guys, especially like that, it's, it's a big blow to our community. So after that, I, um, it just set my soul on fire and I, I wanted to let the world know what a combat controller is. And I wanted his nieces and nephews and his family know how, how great this dude was. So I started a nonprofit called First Air Foundation. And um, yeah, my, my, our goal or, or my goal is to, to help combat controllers and, and their families and, and kind of start building that community before another tragedy strikes because you've seen it. I mean, anytime we all get together is when someone's, when someone died, you know, and, and, and that's, that's not good for being such a small community. We should be getting together. And, and that's um, just like our families. If uh, we lose someone in our family, it's usually the first time we see people in years. Yeah. And yeah and oh, I love you. I love you. But bro, I, you, I've been with you my whole life and you never even call me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, it, and it's something that we just take for granted. You know, we think, I guess they're always going to be there. Or, there. Oh, I'll call that guy later. Yeah. So I started that fuse. <laughs> and then uh, I was living in Austin. I was seeing how Austin, I used to love Austin, man. It was just such a clean. It was just, I mean, there was always homeless problems and trash, just like any other major city. But Going back this last year, it was just falling apart, man. It's mm -hmm. it's just god awful, dude. And I think even people on both sides are starting to see that it doesn't work. So I was going to run for mayor, and then every consulting group I talked to, they're like, "There's no way you're turning that city red." And I was like, "Well, I don't even care about that. I just want it. I just want it to be back to where people feel safe and they can run down the the parks and not step on needles or see people shooting up or." you know, taking a crap on the middle of the field where you have little kids playing, you know? So um, I said, okay, so where's the point of friction? So, you know, with, with uh, this current administration, I, I said, okay, well, the point of friction is the border, right? We need to protect the border. We need to keep our families and our, our values safe. So I said, okay, I'm gonna run for Congress. And I just jumped into it like a, a night halo jump, man. I, the ramp is down, it's dark, and I'm just jumping into it. I, I had to quit my job and, uh, you know, I put my house up in Austin for, or my condo up for sale or for rent in, in Austin. And, and uh, I have another house here in San Antonio where my mom lives and, and I'm crashing here until I can get in there, dude. So it's just like another major deployment, you know, you're kind of flying by the seat of your pants and, and yeah, making it work. You know, if you see some of my posts on LinkedIn or whatever you follow me on, if you follow me, it's, uh, you know, every day at 5 a.m. I'm up, got to take care of your body, you know, do a little prayer. And then after that, it's, it's in the campaign. And, that's why I feel so bad, man. We, we've missed each other the last few times, but uh, I'm glad we, we're getting here to, to talk and hopefully people can, can relate. And the reason I'm open about the troubles that I went through is, is because I think there's a lot of guys that are kind of experiencing that and they just don't realize it. And, you know, now with the Afghanistan debacle that we had, you know, nice. the, the, the withdrawal that a lot of guys are, are out, you know, so I think once they start seeing how the civilian world is, it's 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 going to be rough. And I want to make sure that our boys are, are taken care of, or men and women, obviously. No, but, uh, but specifically for me, the combat control, because it's it's such a small career field. So, yeah, man, sorry. I was kind of, I said clip notes, but I was kind of long. <laughs> you're a little passionate about your story. That's a, and that's awesome. That's what you need to be at right now, especially with what you're trying to do right now to try to make a difference for uh, Congressional District 28. And, of course, it's your home state now. It's it's your home state, your country. You're trying to make a difference. You put you, you rattle off a lot of things that are issues for almost every uh, military service man and woman that's coming out now. PTSD, depression, losing that sense of purpose. That that right there leads to the other two getting worse. The spiral. I worked for a nonprofit when I first got out. Uh, actually, a year after I got out, I, I took a year to find a job. Just like you, no one knew what I did, and or they thought I wanted a lot of money. I just wanted a job, and yeah. 
when I finally got a job, I was able to mentor veterans. And I actually, that was my area. Uh, Texas uh, was the central region. So Texas was a big population for me. I went to San Antonio. It was my first event. Okay. And uh, I loved it down there. I still have a lot of friends down there that uh, actually have nonprofits that help veterans. So I can, I'll send you some of their stuff after this. And Yeah, please do. But there's so many that of our brothers and sisters that go through that spiral. And uh, to have you come on here as someone that's trying to lead uh, in our nation, and show that you're vulnerable as well and say, yeah, I had this issue and I'm, I'm tackling it through these methods and staying busy is one of them, but also prayer, uh, physical fitness, and then getting your head wrapped around it and helping others through the First Air Foundation. I think everything you're doing is on spot on with what needs to be done to help you. Now, which, as you move, spin that to go help to Texas 28, what's your motivating purpose now? What's your, uh, your number one goal for Texas 28? Yeah, I mean, I, I love Texas, you know, I mean, I, American first, but you know how Texans are, you I know, know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, anytime you meet someone from Texas anywhere in the world, you're like, great, it's like you, you guys have been brothers forever, uh, but no, my goal is is obviously we got to secure the border, man, and, and we have to, I'm obviously, I'm all about immigration because I'm an immigrant, but we have to do it the right way, you know, just the constant flooding of uh, you know, I've heard different news outlets. Two million people that just flooded through the through the through the open border is you can't have a, a country without borders. And then the other thing is, I'm sure a lot of people are, are fleeing persecution, right? And yeah. I understand that, but at the same time, it's got to done the right way. And unfortunately, a lot of these cartels are the ones making money. And then if this administration doesn't actually do something about it, those are the only people getting wealthy. And then. If these and they're you know they're selling these people are human trafficking the drugs all the other the weapons all the stuff that's it's hurting America and I for the life of me I can't understand why they're just not I don't know if it's out of spite for the for Donald Trump that they're just said you know that was his policy so therefore we're not going to do it and now that they're finally doing it, it's very still very slow moving they they've handcuffed the uh, the the men and women of law enforcement down there the rules of engagement you know they're they're, they're got their hands tied behind their back and if they try to do anything you know they, they get prosecuted so it's like why would you do something if you know that your administration is going to destroy you so what i want to do is obviously you got to get on the ground with those with those folks and and figure out what they need and, and, and let them have it you know let them give them that back and support but yeah texas 28 you know being the point of friction i, I want to be able to secure that and and then the law enforcement, you know, uh, San Antonio is part of, of the district, uh, the northeast side and, and some other cities and counties that are in there. And uh, we have to back law enforcement um, because if you don't, I mean, you've seen it. We've been to other countries where there is no law enforcement and it just it's just chaos. I mean, and even some of our allies look at England. England kind of has the same. Oh, let everybody come in and, and you know, everything's good. There's no weapons. I think their law enforcement finally is carrying some some weapons. But. There's, I, I believe it's East Aust, East London. Don't quote me on that, but I mean, there's parts of it where it's run by Sharia law. Even though it's in England, the British cops can't go in there. It's it's run by their own. It's like our own little country within England, and that just blows my mind that they let that happen. So, you know, we we have to have we have to back our law enforcement. I know the other side uses whether you agree with me or not. A lot of the other side uses, oh, you know, cops are abusing their power and they try to divide us and it's they they're racist and that's not true man i mean with with law enforcement whether you're a law enforcement uh, a, a police officer a doctor a lawyer 
scientists, whatever profession, there's good people and there's bad people. And you can't just clump everybody in the same, in the same thing, man. So right. those are those are my two major ones. Obviously, I'm against vaccine mandates. I think people should feel the uh, the ability to do that. But you know, it, it's it's your own safety. So you should be able to, you know, make that decision and uh, and go from there. You know, and I wish those those doctors would get get in one room and, and come up with an actual like, hey, this is the virus. This is what's happened because depending on what you watch every day, it's it just continues to flip flop. And that Fauci guy, I mean, I I know he's the highest paid guy, and there's probably a reason he's getting his his pockets lined by by someone. And you know, he just changes with the wind. So I, I think American public on both sides of that will be like, all right, just tell me what this thing is. Obviously, it exists, but let's just all get together and figure this thing out. You know, it's just like we put a man on the moon and we can't figure this out. It just blows my mind. And he's definitely been in, uh, we always talk about term limits for congressmen and senators, but no one ever has said a word about him being in that same seat since almost the 70s. He's been there yeah. forever. And so he has, he's so big, he can't, if he fails, they think the whole world's going to fail. He has to have some kind of structure beneath him that he built. And oh, 100%. Yeah. There has to be other <laughs> growing scientists coming up through the chains that these medical schools bring out every year. And uh, yeah. Say, yeah, that he's wrong and that we've actually advanced that science and I can do this too, so. It oh, has absolutely. to be there. Yeah, yeah that, that guy is just, and you know, he's he's uh, purging himself under oath. So, I mean, if that would have been someone from the last administration, I mean, there's, Persecuted. you know, would have been in prison. Even now, they're still persecuting those guys. So this guy, they blatantly lies to the people. They're just like, ah, okay. And, it's all right. And, yeah, it's, uh, it's the, yeah, this administration, the way it's, it's the hypocrite. I mean, they're just hypocrites, you know, and it, they only go at it when it conven- it's convenient for them. The rest of the time, they just ignore it and give the public something else to to preoccupy themselves <laughs> with, or they continue to throw stuff out there to divide us and yep. fight against each other. And I said it at, at a meet and greet the other day. This is America. And when, you, when other countries back in, in history, when they go after our country, they divide and conquer. And that's, that's what's happening. We're, we're American and we, we're forgetting that. And so... Yeah, it just breaks my heart. And like you said, they put the shiny object up to make you look over here while they're this hand's doing this over here. So we don't know exactly what they're doing. But we now in this digital age, we know everything they do as they do it. And it's just how you interpret whichever uh, box you're listening to, whoever your voice is, that's you just got to interpret the truth from that little the gray area in there. And I hope when when you do get elected, you're able to erase some of that that magic stuff up there in the make the swamp look oh. here. It's going to be, of course, the swamp's going to be there for a while, but oh, the first term will be rough. It'll be an uphill swim. And I'm sure you'll make a lot of new friends and frenemies up there oh, yeah. <laughs> as you're trying to build yeah. Texas. And I know Texas has a bunch of veterans right now running. A few Navy SEALs are running yeah. uh, new for new offices, uh, along with Dan Crenshaw, who is in, embedded in office now in his second term. Hopefully yeah. all that wave goes through the rest of Texas and you guys are come out the other side with that light on. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, I, I just hope the public, as they listen to you, I'm sure they're not all Republicans or were there. And, you know, I just I just hope that they do their research, right? Because the public has to take responsibility for that. When you don't vote or you don't research and use, and I get it, America has become a land of convenience, right? We want everything just told to us or pushed to us on our phone because we don't want to do our research. And I understand that people have busy lives, but you know, get out there and really look after, you know, do your research and you just follow whatever, then you're, you're a sheep. And I mean, we, us in the military, we, we say that, don't be a sheep, you know, and it just, it just blows my mind, man, that people just kind of get swayed so easily, 
and, and then that's what happens. They, they vote in someone or maybe they, they don't vote and the people that actually vote put these morons in office and now the country's in, you know, it's, it's going downhill. So yeah, we, we gotta all take responsibility for it. And I think once we all start uh, realizing if we clean our own house, the whole your neighborhood will get better, community will get better, the country will get better. Stop worrying about uh, the name brand that's in the office that's been there for 40 years. Obviously, they're not doing something right there 40 years. Oh, 100%. 100%. So, Eric, it's been great having you on here. When uh, when can people go out and vote? I guess your primary is coming up soon, probably. So when's that? Uh, sure. Early voting is uh, Valentine's Day. So <laughs> people are like, do I do politics or do I take care of my loved ones? So I, I would probably encourage people not to go out there on the 14th unless you're maybe like me, single, and then you're just like, ah, whatever. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it starts on the 14th and then uh, primaries on March 1. So March yeah. 1st, okay. Yeah. How, how big is the field right now? It, it's pretty wild. I, I mean, I'm glad to see that there's other candidates. There's other, uh, there's six other candidates running for, for the seat on the Republican side. And then there's two on the Democrat side challenging the incumbent. Uh, he's been there for, I think, 15 years, 17 years. So, you know, uh, so it's going to be good. It's a, it's a good battle uh, <laughs> battle district down here. And um yeah, hopefully your 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 guys support me and, and take a take a look at the website and kind of what I stand for and and help uh, gain their support and kind of you know share share my enthusiasm for, for change. Awesome. Uh, what is your website since you brought that up? Yeah, sure. It's erichoman.com. So it's e r i c h o h m a n dot com. Uh, that's and you know I'm on Facebook. If you look up uh, Eric Homan for Congress. Instagram. I don't have a TikTok because I have no clue how to do that. I, I was going to ask my niece and, and that buddy of mine that's kind of an empty. He's like, you got to get on TikTok. And I was like, dude, I'm, I'm so many platforms right now. Uh, so if you're a TikTok user, I promise I'll get to it. It's just, it's just rough right now. Yeah, you might need to hire a, like a 12-year-old or something to do that for you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just give absolutely. him $20, $20 a post or something. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. It's uh, this age of technology definitely good and bad awesome eric uh once again the misfit nation thanks you for coming on and thanks you for all you've done for our country and what you're attempting to do now uh we wish you luck in your in the primary and of course the general election yeah thank you so much for having me and listening to me man i uh appreciate it. anytime uh hopefully we'll, we'll have better scheduling uh for me but uh yeah <laughs> thank y'all so much i hope everybody has a good day and, and thank you awesome